Well, as we get into today's passage, uh, knowing the destination affects the journey today. Knowing where you're going affects the decisions and actions that you make today. I think this is a simple truth of life that we instinctively all know. For example, the tennis is on. I know some of you are tennis fans. And if your destination is to win Wimbledon, your journey doesn't look like playing club soccer or joining the chess club or studying medicine straight out of school. It means joining the tennis club at a young age, finding a good coach that's not your dad or your uncle, working up to joining the ATP tour, and specifically for Wimbledon, honing in your grass court skills and hoping that the guys better than you get injured. Or maybe your destination is to go to the snow. People are having their first ski trips uh, in a few years this coming August. Uh, you don't pack your singlets and your thongs to go to the snow unless you're Tim or Spence. You pack your thermals and fleeces or you'll freeze on the slopes. Maybe your destination is to become an engineer. You pick certain subjects in high school like maths, physics, chemistry. You don't pick history or business or computer science. And you study engineering at uni, not something else. You see, knowing the destination affects your journey today. Well, as we celebrate 63 years of God's work in and through this body of Christ, and particularly thanking God for his work here over the past year, I think it's a good time to remind ourselves that special services like this where we look back, reflect, we praise God, uh, that this isn't the destination. If anything, today is a reminder that we're still on the journey. And it's a great time to look back and also to look ahead to see the destination that we're heading towards. And that's why we're taking a quick look at Revelation 7 today, because Revelation 7 gives us a beautiful picture of what we look ahead to, that ultimate destination, the final destination if you're a follower of Jesus, and being reminded by this beautiful picture of the future, I think it should encourage us, but I think it should also challenge us too in what our journey looks like today, in what we do now in light of that destination. Well, as we wade into the book of Revelation, uh, it's written by John, and it's a series of visions in picture or symbolic language revealing what that end looks like, hence the title Revelation. It's a book that's caused many uh, headaches for readers over the centuries. Uh, there's a lot of weird things happening. But if we carefully study John's writings here, the purpose is actually to reveal, to give clarity and encouragement by painting a picture of the future and that final destination to help the believer, you and me, on their journey today. There's a lot of debate about the structure of Revelation, and we don't have time to delve into it today, but the easiest way to put it 
uh, is that Revelation is made up of different scenes, different viewpoints, different angles, replaying the same event, the end of time, space, history, that day of the Lord, the final salvation and judgment, replaying this scene over and over and over again from different angles and viewpoints. Uh, Revelation 7, it finds us in the middle of one of these scenes or viewpoints, the seven seals in chapter 6 to 8. And as we take a look, we're going to explore how knowing the destination affects our journey today. Let's remember as we get into this passage that what we find here are visions, symbols, picture language, giving us a sense of the, what the vision is revealing. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you look back to the end of chapter 6, you'll see a question that's posed right at the end in verse 16. Who can stand? Who can stand the final wrath and judgment of God? Well, chapter 7 answers this question. Have a look at verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel sending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Here we have a picture of God's angels holding back judgment, symbolized by the four winds of the earth. And the purpose of this holding back judgment is to seal the servants of God. Not a literal seal or mark. Remember, this is all picture language here. It's about marking out, identifying, and ensuring protection for the people of God before judgment comes. Verse 4 to 8 goes on to identify those who are sealed. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. John, he hears somehow this 144,000 and breaks down this number to 12 groups of 12,000 people. Remember, this is all picture language. 12 is a number symbolizing completeness in Hebrew. 12 groups representing the whole of Israel, the complete people of God, 12,000 people, again, wholeness and completeness to make 144,000. Not literally 144,000 people, like some suggest, but this is a picture pointing to the complete, total and whole people of God. All believers, all followers of Jesus, all saved by Jesus people all throughout history. And then in verse 9, John, he moves from hearing this crowd of people to seeing them. Have a read. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You see, John, he's describing the same group of people. And this picture of what he heard, 144,000 people, here it becomes so much more. It's a great multitude, an immeasurable crowd, and this group of all believers throughout history. Are they all Aussies, Anglos? Are they all Asians or Africans? Do they all speak English? No, they're from every nation, every tribe, all people groups and languages. It's a mixed, diverse, multi-ethnic group. It's a huge group, countless, in the billions or more. Who can stand the final judgment of God? It's those who belong to God, his servants, his people, those sealed and protected, people who deserve wrath. But here they're dressed in white. They're armed with palm branches, symbolizing salvation and triumph because they've been saved from God's judgment, as we'll see later on. You see, this is the final destination for those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is a glimpse of what the end looks like, all of God's people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and people, united, gathered together, saved from God's judgment, and standing before the throne of God and the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we keep going, uh, even though I love music, I'm usually not a big concert person. But on the 2nd of July, 2009, a group of us uh, did an overnight drive to Sydney uh, to join 15,000 other local and overseas fans to go to the first live concert of the biggest Asian pop star at the time, Jay Chow. People from all over Australia, even people from New Zealand, Asians, Australian-born Asians, even a few token Asians, gathered at Acer Arena in Sydney Olympic Park to be part of this Jay Chow concert and singing his songs together. Uh, for those who don't know, he's kind of like the Asian Michael Jackson. Uh, well, maybe for you, you've been to other concerts uh, at Suncorp Stadium or at the Entertainment Center, but all of these things, all of these events, they pale in comparison to the countless number of people that we see here in this passage, gathering with one voice in worship to God. Have a look at verse 10. This great multitude, they were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever 
and ever. Amen. God saved and sealed people, gathered as one on the last day. Well, what are they doing together? We see here that the picture of God's people on the last day is worship. They're worshipping God. They're giving God the praise he deserves, praising him for salvation. And note that worship is given to the Lamb too. Jesus is worshipped because Jesus is also fully God. And Jesus is the key to our salvation. And the praise here, the worship is so great and compelling that the creatures around the throne join in too, worshipping God, amen, agreeing with the praise of the multitude, followed with words of praise for who God is. You see, the final picture, the destination we're moving toward, is God's people gathered in worship. Worship being not just singing, but it's the act of giving God the glory he deserves. It's ascribing to God the greatest worth and greatest value. It's focusing our whole beings completely on him, God in the center. And us, his people, pointing to him in praise, in joyfulness, and in thanksgiving. It will be the ultimate worship gathering. It will be the ultimate church service where all of God's people are together as one, where God is the focus, where there's no distractions, where we experience uninterrupted joy, where that service lasts all into eternity. Well, as we keep moving the final part of this chapter, it tells us a bit more about God's sealed and saved people. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see this multitude from verse 9, they came out of the great tribulation. Again, it's a phrase with a lot of debate, but here I think it's referring to the whole time between Christ's first and second coming, a time Paul calls the last days. You see this multitude, they persevered, they held on to Jesus right to the end, to that destination. And they've washed their robes in white, in the blood of the Lamb, meaning that they were made righteous and holy and pure through the blood of Jesus as he died on the cross, paying for and taking away their sins. You see, God's people are saved and sealed ultimately in Jesus. And the chapter ends here, showing what's in store for these people ahead. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. 
for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The saved and forgiven people, this immeasurable crowd from all nations, tribes, and tongues, they look forward ultimately to the new creation. Here's a summary of Revelation 21 and 22. In God's presence, in God's perfect new creation, under the sovereign rule of King Jesus, a place that is without sin and death. And note that it's only those who are saved in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, accepting God's free gift of life one in Jesus as he died on the cross to wash you white and clean in his blood, who can stand against the final judgment of God and enjoy the goodness of life in the new creation forever. It's only those saved in Jesus. Well, remember we started with this truth, knowing the destination affects the journey today. And we've looked at Revelation 7, painting a picture of the destination for us, a sure and certain future of God's saved and forgiven people, an immeasurable and diverse people all gathered in worship to God because of the saving work of Jesus. And this destination, it ought to deeply affect how we journey and live today. And as we consider this today, there's three ways I think this future affects us as we live for him today. Firstly, this future ought to fill us with confidence today. The destination painted here in Revelation 7, it shows that God is victorious. Sin and suffering will end and God's people will be saved and made righteous and holy. And all that's left is for God's people on that day is to bask in his presence, doing this together with all of God's people, worshipping him and giving him glory forever. So if you're trusting in Jesus today, fix your eyes on this future and let this future fill you with confidence today. Amidst all that might be happening in your life, knowing that in Christ you'll be protected, you'll be saved and sealed, and one day all that will be left is worshipping God forever and doing this with all of God's people. Maybe this morning you're not following Jesus. Or maybe you've drifted away from Jesus. Well, if the Bible is true, and if this future, if this is the future that history is heading to, don't you want to be one of these people dressed in white? Don't you want to escape God's final judgment? Don't you want to be part of this crowd praising Jesus? Well, the way to be part of this is to follow Jesus, to accept him, as Lord and Saviour, and to follow him all your days. 
friends, on this anniversary Sunday, remember we know the destination. We know the future that God has in store. Let this future fill you with confidence and assurance today. In one of John Piper's most famous sermons and books, uh, it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. Uh, first preached on and written, I think, in 1993, Piper, he makes this comment. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church, which is what we've seen here in Revelation 7. But then he says, it is proper worship that fuels missionary outreach. It is proper worship that fuels missionary outreach. You see, Piper, he's saying here that this future picture of this diverse crowd of all nations worshipping God, it ought to fuel our local and global missionary outreach today, which is what our second application is. This future drives us to mission today. You see, seeing this picture of Revelation 7, of God's saved and forgiven people from all nations, tribes and tongues, it should, it ought to motivate you, us, it should drive you, fuel you, compel you to share God's salvation to all of those around you. People who know and see and even love today who won't be part of this great multitude in eternity unless they accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour today. And I think this picture should drive you even more to share God's salvation, not just to those of our own, but to people of all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. And to do this personally, individually, meaning lowering whatever barriers you have to relating to people of different backgrounds, primarily cultural backgrounds, but also languages and ethnicities. But I think we can stretch this passage to also include people with different socioeconomic backgrounds, people with different personality backgrounds, and people with different social differences. To see people different to you as people who equally need God's love. People who are equally lost without Jesus people who God wants to be part of this great multitude on that last day. And to love these people who are different to you so much that you're compelled to share Jesus with them, that you want to see them saved, and you'll do all you can to show them Christ. And this challenge is for all of us, old and young, been here for 60 years or 60 days. Leaders and non-leaders, introverts and extroverts, on and on, all of us today. God wants this future to drive you to mission today. And we're to do this personally, individually. And we're also to do this by partnering too. Knowing that this mission today is a global mission to all nations, tongues, tribes, and peoples, and actively partnering 
with those who are on the forefront, the frontiers of global mission, those sharing the gospel to people groups who haven't been reached with the gospel or in places where the harvest is ripe for the gospel. And this includes praying for them, financially supporting their work, and walking with them through their highs and their lows as they serve God on the frontiers. It means for us as a church, it's from guys like Anton at Griffith to Daz and B in Southeast Asia. And for you, it might mean joining a prayer mail out for a group like CMS, Open Doors, OMF in Japan, or SIM in Africa, joining a prayer mail out and being faithful prayer supporting the work of global mission. It might be checking a resource like the Joshua Project. This website, this resource, uh, they give updates on unreached people groups. Currently on their website it says there's 17,428 people groups in the world today and 7,415 of them have no viable gospel movement in them. It might mean financially supporting a frontline mission worker. Or maybe it starts with just talking to someone who's been on mission, someone who's been on the frontiers and seen and experienced what's happening there. We're lucky to have a few of these in our church, like Margaret Fraser, uh, Yong and Suzanne Paisan were in uh, Thailand. Ken Conwell was born in Sudan, from what I remember. And Tim and I have been on short-term missions to Japan and to Thailand. Talk to these people and let their experiences drive you to mission today, partnering with the Word of God on the frontiers. You see, this future of Revelation 7, it drives us to mission today. Just like the first part of our vision says, we're a church on mission. So let me ask you this morning, who are you sharing the gospel to today in light of this future? And how are you involved in God's mission globally in light of this future? How is your mission heat today? Final and third application. This future shapes our community today. You see, if the destination we're heading toward is a gathering of people from all nations, tongues, and tribes, surely it seems to suggest that our community today is to look a bit like this. It's going to be a glimpse, a taste, a preview, pointing to the ultimate gathering of God's people. That means that our local church community today looks like people different to us, different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different personalities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different, but all united in praise to Jesus. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard even for us here. People with different levels of English, people who like meat and three veg, and people who like Chinese smelly century egg, people who are blunt 
and people who save face, people with different expectations about different things, people who are introverts and extroverts, high energy, low energy, young and old, people who support the All Blacks and everyone else who are now Irish fans, and people who are different. It's hard work. But isn't it beautiful when amidst all of those differences, what brings us here, what unites us together, and what rises above all of these differences is the saving message of life in Jesus. This future shapes our gatherings today as the good news of life in Jesus takes hold of us. Our gatherings will look more and more like this one here in Revelation 7 until we get to that day, that reality on that last day in glory. So let me ask you on this point, how is God shaping you to be part of this diverse, united community of Jesus here? What are you doing to cultivate this diverse, united community of Jesus here? Well, as we almost come to a close, uh, we've seen how this Revelation 7 destination affects the journey in living for Jesus today, filling us with confidence, driving us to mission, and shaping our church community. But let me end with a word of warning. Because we in Australia, we have a huge barrier in our society and our cultural fabric. An idol, a barrier, a stumbling block that stops us, I think, from going all in on mission and community. And this barrier, this idol, is comfortability, comfort. You see, comfortability says, she'll be right. It's all good. God's got it. Aren't those the slogans of our society? Comfortability says very quickly, rest and relaxation are king. What's the most that I need to do? And I'll just do that. That's too much. Someone else will do it. And some of these things are wise. We all need rest and relaxation time. It's human nature. We all have a limit in our capacity we can't take all the burdens alone, and we do need to trust our sovereign God to work. But I think this idol of comfortability reaches to these thoughts too soon, too fast, as a way out of the hard yards of mission and community. I truly believe that one of Satan's greatest weapons against the Western church is the idol of comfort. So as you go all in, as we go all in, as you get your hands dirty in mission and community, which is a great summary of what living for Jesus looks like, beware, be aware of the idol, the barrier of comfortability. Pray that God would help you to surrender this idol and live undividedly for him. So as we finish on this anniversary Sunday, we're still on the journey, and the destination for God's people is heaven, worshipping God in his presence, 
with a great multitude of all believers from every nation, tribe, and tongue, all united and saved by the work of Jesus on the cross. This future fills us with confidence today. This future drives us to mission today. And this future ought to shape our community today. Let's pray for God's help as we live for Jesus today. Father God, as we reflect on this glimpse of eternity and that last day in glory, let this picture of your gathered, saved and forgiven people fill us with confidence today knowing that amidst all that might be happening in our lives, that you are victorious and that those who hold on to Jesus will one day be in your presence forever in glory. Heavenly Father, help this future to drive us to mission today with a desire to see all peoples one for Jesus. And help this future, Lord, shape what our community looks like today, a diverse bunch of people united in Jesus. Lord God, please forgive us for the times that we drift away from your mission, your will, and your purposes. Lord, focus us afresh this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the Lamb who wipes us clean from sin. In his name we pray. Amen.